0: We're getting into our worship series again. We've been talking about worship in our sermon series in the last few weeks. Our series is called Summer Playlist. And I hope you've been able to access the Spotify or Apple Music playlist. Um, Each week we're exploring the biblical truth behind one of the songs on that playlist. And I hope you've been able to listen to them and you've had rich times of worship on your own. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Brandon talked about the appeal of working at Trader Joe's. And I could so relate to that. You know, you don't have to worry about what to wear, you wear the Hawaiian shirt, you get the employee discounts, and you just do your job, right? There's seems like there's no burden or weight of responsibility. And for any of you who are leaders or in charge of people, or if you're teachers or parents or business owners or managers, you probably carry that weight around with you. What an appeal to not have to think about all those people, right? And I'm at heart an insecure, indecisive person. So in order for me to function as a pastor, I need to run to the Father, to bring that weight and that burden to Him. And this is the worship song we're going to look at today, Run to the Father. The lyrics go, I run to the Father, I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again. And I love that phrase, I run to the Father, I fall into grace. It gives us a sense of a child, of being childlike, of falling into the arms of someone who cares for you, and that sense of freedom and joy and safety and relief. And in worship, we can open up our hearts to the surgeon, Jesus, who cares for us. And we can open our souls to the warmth of love and love of Jesus, our friend. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again. I'm going to start today with the story of the calling of Matthew. Jesus called him to follow him. Because this is a song that Matthew might sing. As I read, put yourself into it. Think about yourself as Matthew, and what it was like to be Matthew. Or think about what it was like to be a Pharisee, who are also in this story. What it was like for them, and how this affects your relationship with God, and your sense of worship, and how you worship. So we're gonna read the calling of Matthew in Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy not sacrifice for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners." Who do you most relate to in this story? Do you relate to Matthew or to the Pharisees? And how do you think this affects you as a worshiper? First think about what it would have been like to be Matthew. When Jesus called men to follow him, they left behind their businesses and their families, their fishing nets, and their tax collector booths. And they had probably heard of Jesus or maybe seen his healings and miracles. So this wasn't out of the blue. But Matthew was a tax collector and he left behind his tax collector booth. He was probably smart, good with numbers, probably wealthy, had a lucrative business. As a tax collector, he might have had a booth on one of the main trade highways and collected tolls from the business traffic that came through the area. And he was wealthy, and he lived well, but he was not liked or respected. Because tax collectors worked for the Roman government, the oppressive, hated Roman government. They were seen as agents of the enemies, and considered traitors. And their taxes were excessive. They collected as much as they could. They were corrupt and dishonest, and they lined their pockets by collecting as much as they could and making poor people even poorer. And on top of that, the Jewish religious leaders considered them unclean. In the Jewish religious writings, tax collectors were lumped in with thieves and murderers. And if you were a thief or a murderer or a tax collector, and and you went to someone's house, their house was deemed unclean. And law-abiding Jews and upstanding citizens did not associate with them. They were the bottom rung of society. So, what would it have been like for Matthew to be called to follow Jesus? What a privilege, right? To have Jesus invite you to be his student, to learn from him and to follow him, and to be a part of his inner circle, his group. On top of that, what a thrill to have Jesus come to your house and enjoy dinner with you and all your tax collector friends. Eating a meal with someone meant that you wanted to be their friend. He wanted to associate with them and have a relationship with them. So Matthew must have been over the moon to have Jesus invite him to follow and to eat with him, to want to be his friend and have a relationship with him. But this did not sit well with the Pharisees. They were the righteous ones. And today we tend to look down on the Pharisees because they opposed Jesus. But they were not bad people. In fact, they were in their day considered the most respected in Jewish society. If you were in this story, some of you might have been Pharisees, or at least you would have looked up to them and wished you could be more like them. They were esteemed and admired. They were the leaders, the influencers. They were the ones who showed everyone what it was like to be religious, to to love God, to serve God, to order your life around God. They were not bad people, but they were misguided and self-righteous. They were overly focused on doing the right thing. They demanded righteousness with others without mercy, and they loved the minutia and the ritual of the law and wanted everybody else to as well. They ignored the justice and compassion that God required in the law. And when Jesus came, the Pharisees were suspicious and judgmental. They asked pointed questions, They didn't want to get to know him. They weren't open to him. They were proud, aloof. They stayed on the outside. And the truth is that most of us are more like the Pharisees than we want to admit. We like to be esteemed and admired. We like when people do the right thing and follow the law and behave well. And we really do want to love God and others. And we feel superior and proud when we do. We can be a little judgmental and proud. And we can be overly focused on the minutia and ritual of the law, too. So Jesus addressed the Pharisees in verse 12, and he said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And Jesus both explains and accuses here. He explains why he's at Matthew's house, why he's associating with these sinners and tax collectors, because they need him. He's like a doctor taking care of their spiritual health. But on a deeper level, Jesus is also accusing the Pharisees because they think they are healthy, that they don't need Jesus. He tells them, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And he tells them, you're making the correct sacrifices. You're doing what you think is good but you're neglecting the mercy and compassion of God's word. Your righteousness is on the outside, but on the inside you're full of disease and sickness, pride, superiority, a harsh, judgy attitude, looking out only for yourself. It's your heart, your attitude, that needs healing. And both the Pharisees and Matthew needed the grace and healing that Jesus offered, but the Pharisees couldn't see it. Matthew saw it. Matthew saw what Jesus offered, and he responded to the grace and acceptance and followed him. He heard the invitation, and he saw the opportunity to no longer be the outcast, the traitor, the sinner, the disliked and uncleaned. And he responded and followed Jesus into a life of grace and healing. What must it have been like to be Matthew? Matthew left his business his wealth, his job security as a tax collector and he followed Jesus. He ran to the Father and fell into grace. And the song, Run to the Father, might be one that Matthew would sing. It begins, I've carried a burden for too long on my own. I wasn't created to bear it alone. I hear your invitation to let it all go. I see it now. I'm laying it down and I know that I need you, I run to the Father, I fall into grace. Matthew brought his whole self to Jesus, heart, soul, mind, body. He left everything else behind for the privilege and the thrill of following Jesus, of being Jesus' friend and having a relationship with him. This song expresses a wholehearted desire for God. What would it be like for us? to follow Jesus with that wholehearted desire, that childlike trust, and genuinely, wholeheartedly, with our whole selves, follow him and worship him. Worship is a response to God, to honestly seeing who God is, what he offers, what he's done, and who we are. It starts with us recognizing God's greatness, power, and awe. And we honor and glorify God in worship as we see who he is. And we've talked about this in the last couple weeks. Two weeks ago, Pastor Brandon talked about the song One Thousand Names of God and the awe and the wonder and the being lost in wonder of worship. Last week, Pastor Eric talked about the song Gratitude and the sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair. She was so overcome with emotion and gratitude, she didn't care what people thought. And she did this scandalous act of worship. And in worship, we express our awe, our wonder, our gratitude for God. But like the woman who washed Jesus' feet, and like Matthew, the sinner and tactics collector, we don't just see who Jesus is, we see who we are. We see ourselves honestly in light. Of the glory and greatness of God. We don't worship with the judgmental, proud, superior attitude of the Pharisees, but we come with an awareness of who we are and how much we need the grace of God. We see our own sin and weakness and we see how glorious it is that God loves us still. And in order to worship God with the awe and wonder and gratitude he deserves, We have to see not only who he is, but we have to see who we are. Broken, sinners, sinners and tax collectors, just like Matthew. And there are two attitudes that will help us fully worship God. The first attitude we bring to worship is we honestly admit our brokenness and our need for healing and grace. Worship is an opportunity to come to God, to come into his presence and receive love and forgiveness, and acceptance, and grace. We receive transformation. We are changed if we recognize we need it. And this is what's happening when Matthew follows Jesus. He sees who he is, and he changes. He becomes a follower of Jesus. And he receives a whole new life. And like Matthew, we acknowledge our need. We see how much in need of a savior we are how broken and damaged we really are, and we respond to Jesus with open hearts and open minds. Creative Arts Pastor Manuel Luz, in his book Honest Worship, describes the brokenness that can interfere with our worship. There are a number of ways our past, our family dysfunctions, our culture, our personality can affect how we worship. Sometimes we're not aware of these things, and sometimes we are aware of them, and we try to hide them from God and others. But when we recognize them and allow the spirit in and open up our hearts and minds to the light of Jesus and his healing grace and the freedom he brings, we find that he is a God of grace and healing. You may be able to identify with one or more of these obstacles or maybe all of them. But Pastor Lou says, those of us who have father wounds have trouble worshiping a God who describes himself as the perfect father. Those of us who have image management issues are emotionally unable to admit fully the ugliness of our sins before the God who is holy, holy, holy. Those of us who have intimacy issues can't fully enter into the vulnerable intimacy of a loving God or His faith community. And those of us with poor self-image or low self-esteem, low self-esteem issues, may find ourselves never fully accepting and receiving His grace. Those burdened by false guilt have a hard time shedding the need to be self-punishing and simply accepting God's perfect forgiveness. And those of us who have grown up in a shame-based family or a culture find it hard to live freely and fully in the joy of the Lord. But our gracious God is bigger than all the things that may keep us from him. God is bigger than our father wounds, our image management, our intimacy issues, our low self-esteem, false guilt, and shame-based identity. And you may be able to identify with one or more of these things. I personally can relate to all of them. But they're common obstacles that many of us have had to work through and overcome in order to fully grasp the grace of God and to trust God and to fully love and worship him. We don't really like to think about or talk about our issues, and we hide them from others. But when we bring them to Jesus, we find freedom and healing and grace. Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come not for the righteous, but for sinners. And he knows our wounds, our issues, and our false ideas. And when we get honest with God and tell him what we need and ask him for help, we can find healing, and wholeness, and grace. But think about the doctor metaphor that Jesus uses. If you're anything like me, you probably approach your relationship with your doctor in kind of a skewed way, because the doctor's supposed to see what you need and help you to be healthy. But I don't really want my doctor to see what I really need. He always tells me to watch what I eat and to exercise, and after I go to the doctor, I'm really good for a couple weeks. And before I make my next appointment, I'm really good and I think about it a lot for a few weeks. But in between, I kind of like to just do what I want to do. And I'm generally pretty healthy and pretty health conscious. But I don't really think about what the doctor says, except right after and right before I go to my appointments. And I'm guessing some of you probably do that too. Actually, I've heard some of you talk about this, so I know that you do. So why do we do that? I think the reason I do it is because I have image management issues, and I want to impress the doctor with how healthy I am. I don't want him to be disappointed in my numbers when I go. I don't really want him to change. I don't (laughs) really want his help. I just want to be healthy enough and to look good enough when I go to the doctor so I don't have to do anything differently And I can control and manage my own health myself. And I know you're thinking that too, because you're really, really quiet right now. (laughs) But the thing is, we do that with God too. Do you ever feel like you really don't want God to see what you're really like? You might want to manage your image with God and impress God so that he doesn't really see. And you like to use those big words in your prayer and to look good on Sundays because... We want God and people to think we're doing pretty well. And it might seem scary to get past our image management issues, to really look at the ugliness of our sins. It might seem like too much work to deal with our childhood issues, our father wounds and our shame-based ideas. And a lot of times we just think, this is who I am. The false guilt, the low self-esteem, that's just the way I am. And we really don't want God to see all that and to make us change and to work at it. But our gracious God is bigger than all the things that keep us from him. And worship is an opportunity to come to God with all our brokenness and sin and all the stuff inside us and experience his love and presence. We let the music in. We let the words in. We allow God to speak to us through the worship, through the sermon, through the sharing, Through all the things that happen, we experience the presence and love of the Father. And we really are all broken and damaged. Some of us will admit it, and some of us have a hard time with that, but we're unable to be the people God created us to be because of the fall, because of our past and the damage people have done in our lives, and because of the culture we live in. But as we honestly bring our broken and damaged selves to God, we find His grace acceptance, love, and forgiveness. Sometimes God uses people, trusted friends, small groups, spiritual directors, professional counselors. So if you feel like you need to talk to someone, don't be afraid to do that. But in order to fully worship God with awe and gratitude, the awe and gratitude God deserves, we have to honestly admit that we are broken and in need of healing and grace. And the second attitude, we need to bring to worship is that we genuinely desire to know God and be known in a relationship with him. We genuinely desire a relationship with God. Timothy Keller, the late great Timothy Keller, said that the gospel is to be fully known and fully loved. And that's what a relationship with God is about, being fully known and fully loved. And that idea of being fully known can scare us as well because we've learned that we have to hide some things from people in order for them to like us. But that's not true with God. With God, we can be fully known and fully loved. In Christ, because of Jesus, because Jesus died for us for the forgiveness of our sins and so that we can have a relationship with God. In Christ, we can bring our honest, broken, damaged selves and find love and acceptance. We can stop hiding, run to the Father, and fall into grace. And where we might expect disapproval and judgment, we instead find the love and grace and acceptance and forgiveness of God. There was a time before I was a pastor a long time ago when I really tried to do daily quiet times and worship and read the Bible and pray every day And I failed miserably. I couldn't remember to do it. I got distracted. Sometimes I got bored, and I felt guilty about it. And when I got distracted, I felt even more guilty. And that guilt made me avoid it, not want to do it, to miss even more and to feel even more like a failure. But this is false guilt, real guilt. God gave us a conscience. And our real, true, healthy guilt is meant to turn us back to God, to receive his love and forgiveness and grace. And when I realized that my false guilt could make me avoid God more, or I could turn to God, confess, and ask for help, I realized I could try that. And so I did. And I told God, I'm sorry I was bored with worship. I'm sorry I forgot. To read my Bible. I'm sorry I got distracted when I prayed. And over and over and repeatedly I would come back to God and receive his grace. And I felt his grace and acceptance and delight that I came. I didn't feel the disapproval or judgment of God. And I think this is when I really began to grow. I became a little more consistent, a little more focused, but really where I grew was in wanting to pray and to worship and to read the Bible, to enjoy it, and to feel God's delight. Every time I came, even though I had forgotten for days or weeks or gotten distracted, every time I came, I felt God's delight. And when I got distracted, and when I realized that I was not praying anymore but was thinking about this other thing, I would just tell God, I'm sorry I got distracted, I forgot I was praying, and I'm worried about this other thing, this situation with my friend, and I don't know what to do about it, and maybe I need help with this. And I began to let God into the distractions and to talk to him about those things. And I grew even more from that, from allowing God into all the stuff that I didn't really want to talk to him about. And I felt the joy of a loving relationship with God. See, God doesn't expect us to be good at worship and prayer. He just wants us to come to bring our whole selves, to lift our hands, to stand, to smile, to clap, to bring our whole selves to worship and enjoy his love and presence. Our relationship with God is not one of servant to demanding master. It's not one of a worker trying to impress the boss. Because of Jesus, our relationship with God is one of friendship and relentless love and unending grace. That's what it's like. And Jesus invites us to come, to be loved and forgiven, to receive grace and healing and restoration, to find rest for our weary souls. And in worship, we humbly come before a great God. We honestly bring our whole broken selves, and we experience his love and presence. We stop trying to impress God. We recognize that we are the tax collectors and sinners, and God loves us still we open our hearts and minds. We desire genuinely, honestly, a real relationship with God, with real worship. And we experience his love and presence. And we run to the Father and we fall into grace. That's what we can do in worship. Let's pray.